Hey guys, you are listening to the Rima Chapel Podcast, which brings the message of Jesus Christ to the lost all across the globe. Today's speaker is our own pastor, Reverend Samuel Donkoforte, pastor of Rima Chapel, Belfort, Germany. Hope you enjoy the message. Today I want to talk about covenant rights. Covenant rights because it's important for you and I to know that fasting doesn't help anybody. Prayer in itself doesn't help anybody. Do you know that the Bible says that he who turns his ear from hearing the word of God, even his prayer shall be an abomination? So if prayer helps people, then he can say, okay, I don't want to hear the word of God, but I want to pray. And God will say, no, it doesn't work that way. So you see, prayer is working, fasting is working because of a reason. And the reason I want to point it out to you so that when you are doing things, you don't just do things anyhow. In this church, we practice laying on of hands. Some of you have come forward, we have laid hands upon you before. You have gone back, but things have been the same. Why is that so? Why is that so? You will find out that it is connected to covenant. So when you understand what covenant is, you will know that Anytime anybody, how many of you know that faith is a receiver? Faith is a receiver. Faith always receives. If you have faith, you always go out with whatever you came for. Because faith is like money. Though in a spiritual sense, but faith is like money. When you have money and you go to the shop, why won't you buy what you want? So when you have faith, you cannot come to the place where the thing is available and you go away empty. If somebody is looking for healing, he comes in, joins a healing, this thing, they lay hands upon him, they pray for him, nothing happens. The person didn't have faith. So when you are in church, please understand that this thing, when we work it well, it will attract the world because they don't have it. Let's take our time and work it because if we work it, it will work for us. Now, when God created uh, uh, Adam, he didn't give him a law. What he gave Adam was a covenant. When Adam was in the garden, God didn't come to him with ten commandments. That shall not kill, that shall not take what is the brother's, that shall not covet, etc. No. The man was a man free of law. And when you are a New Testament person, you know that we are free of law. Don't you know that? Uh-huh. Because God is restoring us back to what Adam was supposed to be. Adam had a covenant with God. The covenant is in the form of a tree. Yes, that. A particular tree. And that was all. Don't eat of the fruit of this tree. Everything is yours. But this one, don't eat. That was a covenant. The day he ate it, he broke the covenant. And anytime you break a covenant, curses follow. So we'll talk about the covenant so that you understand as New Testament people that we are people who are covenant people. And you see, hmm, anyway, let me not get ahead of myself. I will just, I will just, if I brush through quickly, I probably will come to it again. But are you being me? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the verse number 16 to 22. 
Uh, please, because of lack of time, bear with me. Me, I'll read fast. So turn your Bible to that place so that you can see that it is in the Bible. Second Kings chapter 9, verse 16. Sorry, oh, sorry. That was a slip of tongue. Second Kings chapter 9. Second Kings chapter 9, verse 16 to 22. Please beam it so that uh, those who, who don't have a Bible, they can also see and read. But uh, I'm reading. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel. For Joram lay there. And Ahaziah king of Judah was come down to see Joram. Verse 17. And there stood a watchman on the tower in Jezreel. And he spied the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, take a horseman and send to meet them and let him say, is it peace? Is it shalom? That is the word there. Verse um, 18. So there went out one on horseback to meet him and said, that saved the king. Is it shalom? And Jehu said, what hast thou to do with shalom? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman um, and the watchman told, saying, the messenger came to them, but he came up not again. 19. Then he sent out a second on horseback, which came to them and said, Thus saith the king, Is it Shalom? And Jehu answered, What hast thou to do with Shalom? Turn thee behind me. 20. And the watchman told, saying, He came even to them and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. Verse 21. And Joram said, Make ready. And his chariots were made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Haziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot. And they went out against Jehu and met him in the portion of Naboth the Jezreelite. 22. And it came to pass, when Joram saw Jehu, that he said, Is it Shalom Jehu? And he answered, what shalom, so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. Amen. Please take notice that when you talk of shalom, you are talking of a covenant, uh, uh, what do you call it, privilege of those who are connected to Yahweh. Now, what is shalom? I'll give you a little bit of the definition of shalom. Shalom does not just mean peace. Meaning that uh, nobody is disturbing me or there is no war. It doesn't just mean that. But those of us who are from, from this English kind of background, because of the limited, um, what do you call it, the limited meaning of the word peace, we think that peace means the absence of strife, the absence of war, the absence of disturbance. You are cool, that's all. But that is not what it means. Because if that is what it means, then if you give me some ganja and I smoke and I'm high and, and I'm at peace with myself and peace with the world, then everything is cool. But look at the real meaning. The meaning here is completeness in terms of number where nobody is missing. Number two, Completeness in terms of safety. 
Three, soundness in body. So you see, you can be talking of shalom where when they look at you, the doctor examines you from the crown of your head to the source of your feet. They cannot diagnose anything wrong. Perfect soundness is part of shalom. Next thing is welfare. You know what welfare is? It's farewell. When somebody is doing well, he's faring well. When somebody is struggling, he's not doing well. So it is welfare. The next is health. You know, it is possible you don't diagnose somebody with a kind of sickness, but still he's not strong. He's not healthy. But when somebody is healthy, shalom is operating. When he's prospering, because prosperity is part of shalom. Those of you who come from Africa, you know that in Africa there are some villages where you go to, where there's a spirit in a place that hates prosperity. Everybody has got a house with a, a grass roof. And you come around and then you, you want to put an aluminum sheet on your roof. Which kind of woman born you before you want to put that one? By the time you put that roof, they start some oppression. So you will not dedicate that house and you die. You know why? Because there's a spirit against Shalom. There's a spirit that doesn't want the covenant of God to be among men. But trust me, when the covenant of God is with men, it is amazing what happens. I haven't finished with defining Shalom. Let me continue. The next thing is peace, the way we know it. Rue, everything is cool. You don't need to go to work with anybody. Everything is cool, right? <laughs> and then the next thing is quietness. Nobody is screaming and shouting to make you, you know, to make your heart, your, your is it BP or something? Your pressure to go high and you are like, hey, what is going on? It doesn't happen that way. Tranquility. When you talk of tranquility, all you have to do is look at a lake. When nobody is throwing stones into it, you see that everything is cool. That's what it means. And then contentment. Contentment. Meaning that you are satisfied. You don't need anything. You don't owe anybody. You don't just need anything. You are okay. As a matter of fact, you are so okay that if somebody is not okay, you can make them okay. And then peace and friendship. That is when it comes to human relations. And then peace and friendship when it comes uh, to relationship with your creator, your maker, God himself. And then finally, peace from war and peace as an adjective, a way of describing a man who is under that kind of thing. That's what shalom means. So you see, when this guy said, what peace so long as the halotries or the whoredoms of Jezebel is operating, what does it mean? It means that anytime there is halotry, anytime there is a, 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 a 
Boredom. And let me explain to you. Because you see, sometimes we just think that uh, halotry is when you are sleeping with people that is not your husband, etc., etc. It's part of it though. But when they are talking to church people, it is taken for granted that church people won't go around sleeping with people who they are not married to. Marriage itself is a covenant. How many of you understand that? God didn't uh, uh, create women with a high man for nothing. That means that by the time the first woman came, God has already planned this thing. That the relationship between Adam and his wife should be a covenant relationship. Covenant is the means whereby good things can be transferred from one person to the other. Without covenant, there is no framework for transmission. Do you understand it? Okay, so here we are having a situation where the spirit of witchcraft has been allowed to dominate. And whenever witchcraft dominates your life, you will not prosper. Are you listening to me? When witchcraft dominates your life, you will find sicky sicky. Today hospital, tomorrow hospital. It is either Qatar or it is your toe that hit something. Next time it is some kind of freak accident. Every time it's always something. Because witchcraft is manipulating you, operating against you. But you see, in 2020, witchcraft must not operate against you. The covenant must work. But the covenant doesn't work by itself, except the one who is interested in the covenant puts it in operation. That's why we are talking, or that's why we are saying what we are saying. Hallelujah. And so we see that this guy had to go out against what was the cause of the thing. And listen, if you don't go out against what is the cause of the witchcraft in your, in your background, certain things will not break. Some of us, we came from certain backgrounds that we happen to be maybe either first generation, second generation, or probably third generation, if we are lucky, third generation Christians. And what I mean by third generation Christians is perhaps your grandfather was born again. Then your father was also born again. You are the third generation. But listen, there's a fourth generation. And whatever they do there, they want to stick around. So when you don't rise to fight certain things, you may be a child of covenant, but you are living like somebody without covenant. You may be somebody who has a father, but you are living like a fatherless person. Listen, a person who has no covenant with God is a fatherless person, spiritually speaking. It's an orphan. And God doesn't want us to be orphans. That is why he came into covenant. Now let's talk about the covenant of Abraham. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 15, the verse number 7 to 17. But I will, I will pick and choose. She will be me, but I'm picking and choosing so that I can go fast. I want to take notice here because we want to identify or we want to define what a covenant is. You need to get it clear. If you don't understand what a covenant is and you are taking communion, it's just bread and the, and the what do you call it, grape juice. But verse 7, and he said unto him, that is God speaking, I am the Lord that brought thee out of all of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Verse 8. Now Abraham talking, and he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Listen, Abraham is not saying that he doesn't believe God. Because if you check the verse number 6, you would already understand that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Are you there? 
So he's not saying, I don't believe God. He's simply saying, God, how do I know that in the future you are still going to remain unchangeable? Because people change. People make promises today. Tomorrow their conditions have changed. And because their conditions have changed, the promise is no more valid because they can't deliver. So he said, how shall I know? How shall I know? Look at how, how God tried or how God um, was giving him confirmation that he can be sure that this thing will happen. Verse 9, and he said unto him, take me and Haifa. Take notice, take me. He didn't say, let us take a Haifa. He said, take me. Five things there. Haifa, three years old. She got three years old. Ram, three years old. Tati dog, three years old. Young pigeon. Uh, young pigeon. And then Tati dog, five things. Verse 10. And you took unto him all this and divided them in the midst and lay each piece one against the other. But the birds, he divided it not. Meaning that you divide the animals. How do they do it? If I were to be an animal and I'm dead and I lie this way, you divide so, exactly in the middle. And you put one part here, one part here. Now what happens is the part that is cut must be facing each other. Meaning that when the blood is flowing, it will flow in this corridor. Now, when you are the one who is going into covenant with me, normally when two human beings are going into covenant, this is what they do. When we are going to covenant, we now pass through the animals which are dead. We walk through it. Meaning that we are walking on or through the blood. We are soiling our feet with the blood of those animals. And what are we doing as we walk through? We are proclaiming the blessings of the covenant and the curses of the covenant. So, 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 so a covenant is so solemn that nobody wants to enter it if they are not willing to keep it. Because before you enter into covenant, everything you have is safe. When you enter into covenant and you break it, you lose everything. Who wants to do that? God kind of. Nobody wants to go into covenant if they are not willing to keep it. So when people actually go into covenant, trust me, they will keep it with their life. So the next thing that happens, when they make a covenant, oh, let's finish reading it. Let's finish reading. Um, verse 11, eh? And when the fowls came upon the carcass, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and lo, a horror and a great darkness fell upon him. This verse 12, I'll try to explain it, but let's move on. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Verse 14. And also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. Verse 15. 
And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in the good old age. Verse 16. But in the fourth generation, they shall come forth hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between these or those pieces. Take notice. Abraham did it. If he's having a covenant with me, he must go through it. I must go through it. In this case, there is no record that he went through it. Rather, he fell asleep. And when the time came for going through it, it was this smoking lamp or this smoking furnace and this burning lamp that went through the pieces. I submit to you that this was God going through those pieces. So this, Abraham can say, I have a covenant with God, but this is not his covenant. If I, if I, if I, if we sign a covenant, we say our covenant. But when God comes and God says my covenant, he means to say, you are not part of it. I signed it myself. Are you getting my whole point? Now, look at the verse 12. Let me clear that one quickly and we'll go. And when the sun went down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Do you remember that Jesus said, your father Abraham, he desired to see my day, and he saw it and he was glad. You remember that? Now, for him to understand that really a covenant has taken place, he needs to know the parties that are in it. And I believe that in the sleep that he slept and the horror that he saw was that the Lord himself was partnering with himself. The father was partnering with the word. And that the father was taking responsibility for the curses of the covenant. Do you understand what I'm saying? If Abraham had done it, he would break it. And the reason he would break it is that he's like all of us. He's a sinner. And the day you break the covenant, all the blessings stop. From that day onwards, the curse flows. If you don't break the covenant, when your children come, they are supposed to keep it. If by the third or the fourth generation, one of your children breaks the covenant, what happens? The curse is released. And when the curse is released, it comes against everything that you have. Do you understand me? So Abraham, in that sense, couldn't have a covenant with God that he would cut himself. You know, you don't make a covenant. You cut a covenant. What do people do when they cut a covenant is when they do this kind of thing and they walk through the pieces. The next thing they do is that they, they call it mixing of blood. Mojafra. Lots of you understand that you, they mix blood. They will cut. If it is my wrist, I cut here. And then if it is a, in a, in a, in a, in a, a tea or something, and then you too, you cut in a tea. We mix it. You drink, I drink. And therefore, from that point onwards, though we didn't come from the same mama, now we are blood brothers. Do you understand what I'm saying? We become blood brothers. And the terms of the covenant is that anytime I need something, 
You give it to me without preconditions. It doesn't matter what it is. Meaning that everything that you have is mine. But I can only use it if I have need of it. And when I need it and I make a request, you don't say no. I'm giving you next year. I'm giving you next two years. I want to jump quickly to get to uh, the verse number, chapter 17. So that you, you take notice that although this covenant was God signing it with himself, yet Abraham was tested based upon it. Because he was the one that was demanding to have a proof that God will be the same and never change. Listen, when you are in covenant with anybody, you can trust their word. If you are in covenant with somebody who really knows what they are doing before they enter into the covenant, you can trust their word. Because they'll be fools to break the covenant. Whatever you demand from them will be, will be small to pay in comparison with what comes when they break the covenant. So, chapter 17. The seal or the talking of the covenant with Abraham. Chapter 17, uh, uh, actually, I'll be reading uh, verse 1, verse 4, though up to the 15, so I'll jump some things. Uh, 17, verse 1. And when Abraham was 99 years old and 9, or 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Notice the word Abraham, not Abraham. Are you ready? Please check it. Because I want you to understand something. If you understand this thing, you would never, never, never be a helpless Christian anymore. Amen. No matter where you go, no matter who you face, you would never be a helpless Christian because see, a man walking in covenant, even Satan cannot touch him. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to him and said unto him, I am the Lord, I am the almighty God, Walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before me and be thou what? Complete. Be thou whole. Be thou, uh, uh, what do you call it? Integrated. Be a man of integrity. Be a man that is sound before me. Don't walk before me. Uh, today I'm here, tomorrow I'm here. Be a man that is stable. Complete before me. That's what it means. It didn't say be perfect means be blameless. Because if that is the case... How many of you know the man lied when he was afraid? Hello? Uh-huh. So that's not what it means. It's not perfection in the sense of uh, absolutely no fault. But it's perfection in terms of integrity. You being at the same place. You know, when we, 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 we meet a woman and uh, we are happy, we want to marry them, we, we promise them heaven. And when we are promising them, we mean it all. The thing we don't have, we mean to kill ourselves to provide it. Then after maybe 10, 15 years of marriage, when now you have become very familiar with the person, then you begin to forget that what brought this relationship together in the first place was this strong desire to please this person, to impress them, 
and to make them know that they are completely safe with you. People can get up and they kill their wife and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Because this is completely, completely antithesis, completely opposite to what it's supposed to be. Listen, if you are not ready for marriage, don't go into marriage because it's not for small boys. If I say not for small boys, I don't mean that small boys in terms of male. Because you know that it takes two to tango. So if you're a woman too and you're also not ready to really play it out the way it should be, please tell this man that I have some feelings for you, but I don't think that it's a, it's a lifelong thing. Because this thing is supposed to be a lifelong thing. So, where am I? Verse 2. Oh, okay, good. So, verse 4. As for me, behold, my covenant. You can underline that, my covenant. He didn't say our covenant. He said my covenant. Meaning that it is mine, not yours. You know why God didn't go into, into covenant with Abraham? Because if you were to go into covenant the way we go into covenant with men, even the very blood that he would draw for the covenant is corrupted. And if you know God very well, if you offer him an animal that has got a, a, what you call, a wound in one leg, mm-mm. so talk less of the whole blood that is in the system has gone wild. That one, God will not take. So you see, God, in order to guarantee that this thing will work for eternity, he took the blood that was sinless, the blood of Jesus. This is why Jesus can become a curse for you. Because when they were cutting that covenant and pronouncing the blessings and the curses, he was pronouncing the curses upon himself if the covenant is broken. So that any time the Abraham, who is supposed to be the beneficiary of the covenant, any time he breaks the covenant, the curse falls upon Jesus, not upon the one, the Abraham. I want to quickly get this because we, we want to get somewhere with this. Okay, verse 5, right? So as for me, my covenant is with thee. Thou shalt be a father of many nations. Verse 5, neither shall thy name anymore be called Abraham, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Take notice that his name changed. How many of you know that the day you gave your, your life to Christ, actually, your name entered the book of heaven? So, whether you feel the same or not, is immaterial. Because something very fundamental has changed about you. Now, angels recognize you as a child of God. In other words, you have become a prince or a princess, whether you feel like it or not. You know that whatever prince, what is the guy that want to, doesn't want to be a prince anymore? Wherever the Harry is, whether he wants to be a prince anymore or doesn't want to be a prince anymore, does it change anything? The blood in him. That one have to change first. 
So if he decides that he doesn't want the privileges of who he's supposed or who he is anymore and he wants to change, he doesn't change anything. Now, when you are a child of God, or when you become a child of God, anytime you sin, you are breaking the covenant. But the curse doesn't fall upon you. The curse falls upon the one who signed the covenant with Yahweh. He's called Jesus. This is why it is foolish to be convicted of sin and you refuse to repent. It is foolish. Because all you have to do is to acknowledge that as a shall, shall miss the mark. Yeah, miss the mark. I don't want to say some of the other things they say because they are not nice. <laughs> it's a mistake. I've made a mistake. And when you acknowledge that I've made a mistake, then you go to Jesus and you say, please, this blood that wasn't like Abraham's, which is pure, which is so strong that it passes, it tra- tra- transverses time and eternity, let the blood apply to me now so that I may be free. And you see, when the blood actually applies to you, God does something extra. He goes to the memory banks and he wipes out the consciousness of the sin. So that when you walk, you walk as if you are somebody who has been sin. Hey, those of you who, who are always in the habit of, you know, when somebody is doing wrong, you go around condemning them. Be careful. Just because God gave you that liberty, Whereby he wiped what was in your background. So you have forgotten where you came from. And you go around and anybody that you see who is uh, also doing his, uh, what do you call it? Uh, napkin business, I should put it. You know, when you are a baby, the thing goes into the napkin. Somebody is also doing his napkin business because he came into the kingdom not too long or maybe he hasn't had much light. So he's still a baby. And they are, you know, they are making the poopoo into the napkin. Then you are complaining. Be careful. Be careful. Let me move on quickly. So God changed his name. And his name was Abraham from that day. Verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. A token of the covenant means a seal of the covenant. How many of you know that uh, when you buy some things, they say if the seal is broken, return it. Especially if they are drinks. It is sealed. When the seal is broken, when you return, they'll give you a new one. So the, 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 the circumcision... And the changing of the names, those two things are the seal of the covenant. And that is all he's supposed to do. When he applies the seal, he has come in. Let me continue verse 11, right? Oh, verse 12. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name be. Amen. Now, if God had only talked to the man 
changed the man's name, affected the man by, you know, by the cutting of what you call it, and did nothing for the woman, it wouldn't have been complete. But the woman to her name was changed, meaning that she was also put into the covenant. Hallelujah. So this covenant does not discriminate between when you are a man or you are a woman. It is all embracing. And so here, what I want you to notice is simply this. Oh, okay. Let's, let's, let's take the, the last one and then we'll, take, we'll pick our lessons. Now, this one that we are going to pick, I want you to learn some things because we will learn some things from two individuals, which if we do, the covenant of God will operate in our lives. Uh, Genesis 22, verse 1 to 2, verse 4, 5, and then 8 to 13. Genesis 22, verse 1. So, covenant relationship implies that your best is available without preconditions to your covenant partner. Those of you who have come to Christ and you say, okay, Lord, I needed a savior, so I've come. But I don't need the Lord. I want to run my own life. You are my savior, but not my Lord. When I need help, I will consult you. You will not enjoy the full benefits of the covenant of God. And you see, many Christians are struggling today in the kingdom of God because when we got a savior, we didn't also go ahead to get the Lord. So we are working with the savior, but not the Lord. We are the lords of our own life, the bosses. And when you are the lord of your own life, you are responsible for everything that happens. You must take responsibility. Listen, hey, let me, let me finish before I do. Otherwise, I'll go ahead of myself. Okay, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. Verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the, hand, the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Actually, Moriah is the mountains of Jerusalem. Eventually you get it. It's the same. But this man did not know that because at that time he hasn't fallen to Israel. But God who sees the whole future, he sees exactly where Jesus is to, uh, what do you call it, is to, is to be lifted up on the cross as a salvation to all mankind. So what is he doing? He's sending him to that place. Because this is supposed to be something that is exact. So that, how many of you know that Satan is a lawyer? Satan is a prosecution lawyer. You know there are many lawyers. You have a lawyer advocate. He will plead your case. But a prosecution lawyer, when you are the accused, you don't want them. Because their sole aim is to prove that you are guilty. You should be punished. And Satan is a lawyer. Listen, God's kingdom is a kingdom that is founded upon law. That is why God went out of his way to make a covenant with you and I so that what we are not, we can become. Where am I? Verse 4, right? Verse 2. Okay, 3. Then on the third day, Okay, 
if there was verse 3, you will see that early in the morning, Abraham rose up. Meaning what? No precondition. Let's take notice before we move on. By this time, Ishmael or Ishmael, who was, who was born when Abraham was 86, he's been round the ship. Where he is, nobody knows. Whether he's still alive, he's doing well, nobody knows. The only way this man knows he's doing well is because of what God said concerning him. But he has no dealings with him, no contact. So now God comes to him and says, take your only son. Who is the only son? The one that is left with him in the house. Because the other one is so vague. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God is saying, your only son. Abraham was supposed to have one, only one son for a reason. Because Jehovah God was supposed to come with just one natural son. And uh, the one son Jehovah was supposed to come up with was he who was the word. Has to have a body now and become a son and be begotten. So that in this process then, he will become a very precious son to God. Because who is God and what is God without his word? Have you ever seen God do anything without his word? If you were to make God dumb so he can't talk, what do you think God can do? So you see, the word was so precious to God that God can say, this is my only begotten son. My only son, the one that my soul yearns for. I love him from the very depths of my being. So when God was asking for Isaac, he was trying to give a very, very good way of sealing a covenant. Because right now, the man was old. He wasn't doing the things men normally do. Before God helped him to have this child. So what guarantee is there that another child will come? As far as he's concerned, he doesn't know. So God says, bring that child and come and sacrifice that child for me. But this time, he already knows what it means to sacrifice. Even his son Isaac knows what it means to have a burnt offering. Please, get this thing well. Though. This thing is a real challenge. And if God had not shown the man in Genesis chapter 15 what he was doing, I don't believe that it would be easy for him to go and do this. Let me move on quickly. Verse 5, right? Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Verse 5, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Listen, any time you are giving your offering, it is worship. So those of you who uh, you are buying into the present day lie that you shouldn't be giving your tithes and your offerings in church anymore, they are trying to rob you of your worship. If you don't give your worship to God, you give it to the devil. Is that not so? Because when you go to Aldi, that's when you give it. But when you come to God, you won't give it. We are departing from the faith. Let me go on quickly. Where am I? Verse 5. 
Verse 6. Verse, okay, I jump to verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And you know why he said that? Because the son is saying, look, this is the fire. This is the firewood. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Because that's how we do it. But this man spoke by faith. And you know, faith does not thrive on ignorance. Faith thrives on knowledge. There is something he saw when he was in that darkness. And there's something that horrified him. I mean, if you were dealing with the eternal God, can you imagine that he would want to die for you? Cast him first for you? That is a horrible thing. That the righteous man must die for sinners. That is a horrible thing. That somebody who is perfectly innocent must be killed for people who have done wrong. How many of you know that before even we knew Jesus to repent, he has already sacrificed himself for us. So you are killing yourself for people who who are still sinners and they are still enjoying their sin. Hello? Who would do that except God who is a God of faith? Who can see the end from the beginning? Verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. But this time Isaac knew that Papa is going to do that thing. <laughs> but somehow I think that the eternal God held the mouth of the child. So he didn't break the papa's heart. Let me continue. And now you also see the reason why worship is a sacred thing. When you are in worship, don't be mindful of others. Have you seen that the young man didn't come to the place of worship? He told them, wait, we are going to worship, we'll come back. Worship is something you do on a personal basis. When you come to church, just because there are plenty of people, does not mean that you must see it as a group thing. It's a personal thing. You can be in church and a thousand people are worshiping, but only two are actually touching God with their worship. Be one of those two who touch God. Because when you touch God, you will never go out the same. Verse 10, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Once he took the knife and the knife had gone up and when it comes down, it is over. You know that the man has killed already. How many of you know that Jesus said that if we look at a woman who is not our wife or something and uh, we are saying that this one, if she were to be my wife, I'll do her some things. You have immediately done the thing in the spirit. So, 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 so the punishment that must come to those who have actually done the thing have already attached itself to your name and you will not escape unless there's somebody who takes that curse for you. You need Jesus, so we need Jesus. If you know how you need Jesus, you won't be living far from him. Verse 12. And he said, lay, lay not thy hand upon the Lord, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught up in the ticket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Do you notice here that the innocent ram took the place of his son? Meaning that in this we see the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. That he took our place being innocent because if we were given the opportunity we could not survive the encounter. So he took it for us. Now two things we want to learn. The first one is from God and the second one from Abraham. The first thing we learn about God in this case is that God took responsibility. God took responsibility. God took the whole blame upon himself for the fall of man. Until you get to the place where you take responsibility, you are not going to find a way to correct things. Things will always remain in the state in which they are and they may get worse until you get to the place where you take responsibility. For when God took responsibility for the fact that, look, at the end of the day, I created man. Were it not for my desire to have somebody like myself that I would love and I would have fellowship with him, this thing wouldn't have happened in the first place. So I take responsibility that I am the reason why men fell. So if I am the reason why men fell, then I must also be the reason why men are redeemed from that fall. So right from the very beginning, the Bible says, well, this is the lamb that was slain from the very foundation of the world. God took responsibility. Listen, my dear friends, you need to take responsibility for your life. Where your prayer life is right now, don't blame other people. Blame yourself. Because if you blame yourself, God will show you how to correct it. If you be blaming Deutschland, there are too many television channels in this country. It doesn't, too many soap operas, too many shows. So we don't have time to pray. You know, and then what do you call it? Is it social media? WhatsApp, whatever. Too many of these things. So we don't have, listen, blame yourself. Because if you don't take responsibility, nothing will change. Things will go bad and they'll get worse. <laughs> Number two, if you have a child and something is going wrong with the child or the child is going in a way you don't like, take responsibility. What am I saying? God didn't tell uh, uh, this guy to Listen to the devil and go and eat what he ate. He actually warned him that this particular tree is no go. When you eat of it, you will surely, that was a word, surely, only, only, without faith, you will surely die if you eat this thing. What happened for him to eat? You know, most of us, if it were me, I would say, you see, uh, what do you call it? Zerba He deserves to be punished. But anybody who wants to bring a solution doesn't talk that way. 
Because when you blame other people, you cannot be a solution provider. The only person through whom solutions come is the one who takes responsibility. Do you understand me? So you see, even if your child has gone wayward and has gone to do other things, take responsibility. Lord, I am to blame. If I didn't give birth to this child, there wouldn't be a child of mine that is doing this. So please, I take responsibility. Help me, Lord, help me. How do I deal with this? Help me to correct this. Then you are acting like God. And when we are in a church, so I bring it to church level. Pastor somewhere, I must take responsibility for this church. This church was supposed to be more than this. Do I blame people? Do I blame those who have gone to lie about us? Talk about us? Do many things? People who, when somebody is having a problem, they tell him, you know, go to that church. If you stay here, Pastor somewhere, he doesn't believe in divorce. So he will say, you have to marry the person. Let's sort the thing out. So leave this church. Go to the other church. And they go away. Do I have to blame those people? Do I have to blame people who, who lie about me? And because they lie about me, other people become offended and they pack and they go. I must take responsibility. And you know, this is 2020. I am taking responsibility. Where we are, I am taking responsibility. Now, if you are in the choir, take responsibility for what goes on there. If you are in the ushers, take responsibility for what goes on there. Because nothing will change until God finds a responsible person. Are you okay with me? So, so, so let's, let's put the God, uh, the God example aside because I think I can preach all day on that one. But because we have lack of time. Now let's go to Abraham. There are lessons we can learn from Abraham too. The first lesson we can learn from Abraham is that in order for you to actually enjoy the covenant you have come in through Jesus Christ, you have to be ready to give up everything for the Lord. Your Isaac must not be so precious that when it is time for you to put your Isaac on the altar, you say, God, wait, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll do it when I can do it. Lord, you know what? I want to weep. I want to mourn my Isaac. After my mourning, then I'll give him. No, that's not what Isaac did. That's not what Abraham did. He had to do it so forth. Because the covenant means that anytime I need anything that you have, you give it to me without preconditions. Now, are you going to live your life in the hands of God without preconditions? This is 2020. If you really want to know who God is, it is time for you to give your life to God without preconditions. It is time for you to say, God, you know what? Whether I live or I die, I'm in your hands. If I live, you can still use me because wherever you send me, if you ask me to talk to people, I will talk to them. Some of you, you don't want to lay your ego down at the feet of Jesus. But listen, if you are in covenant, one of the things about covenant is that when you make that exchange, 
It means that when you break the covenant, your life is as useless as the death on which you walk. Because that is how the blood of the, what do you call it? These animals seemed. Anything you can walk on without thinking. It's useless. So, when you break the covenant, your life is as useless as the blood of those animals upon which you are walking. That's what it means. When we are in Christ, in order for us to really enjoy the unlimited resources of heaven, we've got to do our part. How much do you have that you cannot lay it before God? You and God, who is rich? You and God, who has no equity? What do you have at all that God doesn't have? Maybe the only thing you have that God doesn't have is your life. But even your life, in theory, he owns it. So let me qualify that. Maybe the only thing about you God doesn't have is your will. So you can decide to lay your will down and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Because when you do that, you get access to heaven. You get access to the unlimited resources of God. You begin to become a man who is undefeatable, indestructible, above natural law. Why? Because God is above natural law. The next time you are taking communion, remember this. That Jesus said, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are none of mine. Because those days, what they do is after they walk through that, they do this one. And then if it was your wrist, you also extend it. So we have mixed blood. So that in terms of principle, we have even eaten our, what do you call it? Uh, uh, our body, more or less. So what Jesus was saying to those guys was nothing else apart from a covenant that cannot be broken. And you see, the only reason why you can trust God and you should be trusting God is because of this covenant. Today, any time you read of any promise in the Bible that says that a believer can have, I challenge you to doubt it. Let me come again. Anytime you read anything in the Bible that says that it is something that we have in Christ, I challenge you to have doubts about it. Because for you to have doubts about those things is to call God a liar. For you to have doubts about those things is to call God a fool. By his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. If we cannot be healed by his stripes, then God will inherit a curse that will make him worse than the devil. You think it was easy when Jesus went to, went to, went to the cross? Listen, his spirit went to hell. So everything a cursed person must endure, he endured it for us. So that when you stand and you are standing in Christ, that day you lift up the blood of Jesus, every demon must bow. The day you get into any situation and the situation is so tough that nobody is coming out when you invoke the blood of Jesus over your life, it is over. When you take the communion, know that that is what you are doing. Jesus said 
When you eat the bread and you drink the wine, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, make it sure that you don't forget the covenant because the covenant that you forget won't work for you. It is the covenant that you are mindful of and you are willing to walk in that works for you. David came against Goliath. What did he say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he dares to blaspheme the living God? What is he saying? He saying this guy is not connected to the Omosai. So no matter how big he is, he's nothing. What did Jonathan say in chapter 14? Of, of is it there? First somewhere. He said, it is nothing to save, it is nothing to the Lord to save by many or by few. So let us discover ourselves to this uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work, uh, what you call, deliverance for us. So two men, who knew they were covenant men, they went into a military barracks and they brought it down. Can you imagine that? This is the power of those who know what they carry. The power of those who know the covenant they walk in. Anytime you come and we are praying and, and hands are being laid upon people and you want hands to be laid upon you, understand one thing. That you see, the natural way for a normal person to receive anything is through his hand. You don't receive with your tongue. It's your hand. And the normal way by which you give things is your hand. So you see, the hand that is laid upon you is a biblical principle. Check your Bible. Anytime God wants certain powerful things done, the hand of the Lord came upon me. The Lord is imparting something. So anytime you come and hands are being laid upon you. Listen, the time for you to release your faith, to believe you receive, is the time that the hand is being laid upon you. I am not going to lay any hand upon you until I am releasing my faith that this is the moment of impartation. Receive. And if you are the one who is being prayed for, you should also know that that is the time when you should see yourself, you know, you see yourself here, see the problem solved. Who said this? He said, Lord, speak the word alone. For I know this. As a man who is a military man, that when I speak, things get done. Speak the word alone, and my servant shall be healed. And the Lord said, go, and let it be unto you as thou hast believed. You know what happened? In that moment when he heard the word go, he said, amen, so be it. He knew in his spirit that his servant was no more sick. When you come, you are going to receive healing or anything. That is how it should be. You should know that that is the point from which you now begin to thank God. Because whenever you receive something, you thank. Am I talking to people? Maybe we'll take our time and talk about the doctrine of laying on of hands. Because you see, when hands are laid upon people and it's just a formality, you lay hands upon them, they don't receive anything. You lay hands upon some people, it's like you are laying hands upon this wood. You just know that faith is not there. Nothing, it's zero. Because faith always receives. And if they have faith, when they move, something will change. Is somebody blessed? Let's be on our feet. Thank you for taking our time to tune in. For more information on our services, 
visit our website www.wimachapu.org. You can also join us for our weekly conference calls on Thursdays. More details on our website. Also make sure to check our Facebook, Instagram and YouTube platforms. <laughs>